today's episode, we have Mike Bailey, head boys basketball coach at St. Patrick High School. We talked to Coach Bailey about his legendary career in coaching, sustained excellence over a long period of time, coaching in a top-level rivalry, and much more. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. All right, Coach. Uh, we're going to start with our opening tip. When you first started, uh, I believe it was at St. Gregory's, right, as a very young head coach, uh, what kind of, as you got into it, what made you feel you wanted to to kind of do this as, as your profession, teaching, coaching, working, you know, working with, with students, um, and kind of like what drew you to the career initially? You know, Todd, it's probably the fact that I love sports. Um, you know, St. Gregory's was a kind of a, a basketball type of parish, a basketball type of school. We didn't have a lot of parks or fields around our school right there in our neighborhood. So everybody kind of gravitated to the to the playground to play basketball. And uh, being five foot seven, five foot eight, I kind of knew at an early age that probably the NBA was not going to be my calling right there. But love the game of basketball. Tried to find a way to stay in it. Some of the best role models I had were people like Mike Manning and Jerry Ritt, uh, people like that, that were my grade school coaches. And I always kind of looked up to those guys a little bit. And I thought it just became a natural progression to, to keep involved with, with sports and specifically basketball to, to continue to coach. All right. So to build on that, then what, what do you think during that time has been the biggest change in the game, Right. Uh, the biggest change of the game, I, I think, uh, as far as on the court, I think it's just the style of play right now. I think it's the, um, I mean, it just evolves. You know, like when I first got into coaching, it was motion offense, Bobby Knight, motion offense, half court, man-to-man defense. Um, and then, now I think it's just kind of evolved to where it's driving, you know, dri- dribble drive motion, uh, space and pace game right there, attack the rim, play downhill. So I think the game always evolves, but I think the game is always about the types of kids that you're working with, the types of people that you're working with. So, you know, I always say this, you know, we, we, we made it to the super sexuals one year. We were playing uh, half court, man to man pressure defense. Uh, we put, we, we made it to the super sexuals a second time playing two, three zone this past year. We made it to the super sectionals playing a, a one, three, one zone. So I don't know if it's specifically, um, in the game of basketball, the game evolves a little bit for the style of play, but it really kind of comes down to that you win with people. You win with the right types of kids that you have in your program. Yeah, I mean, I think we would all agree, um, you know, whatever you do on the, the X's and O's side is great, but it's definitely more about the Jimmys and the Joes. Yeah, it's, the um, rela- yeah, it's relationships, I think, that you build with people along the way. Again, you could win basketball games a lot of different ways, but I think it's the you win with people and you win with the relationships that you have with those people. So Todd and I wanted to get into to a little bit about St. Pat's basketball. And for our listeners that don't know a lot about St. Pat's basketball, it's got a very rich tradition. And Todd and I like to do our homework on our guests. And, you know, when I was doing some homework, you know, since 1959, there's been two head coaches at St. Pat's High School. Um, you know, I guess first, you know, I'll, I'll do a little two-parter, you know, first, maybe why do you think that is? And then for you personally, maybe take our listeners into what it was like to take over for Coach Curland, uh, the, uh that first year after he was there for decades. 
Right. Yeah. We've had two basketball coaches for, I think it's the, if my Gordon Tech math is right, I think the last 64 years. And really, if you look at St. Pat's though, uh, John, I think even before Coach Curling uh, was at St. Pat's, St. Pat's has a rich basketball tradition. Ray Myers, a graduate of St. Pat's. Uh, Dick Tripto, who is uh, in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, he was a basketball coach at St. Patrick High School. But certainly, I think when you think of St. Patrick and St. Patrick basketball, you think of Coach Curlin. And uh, really, what I tell people a lot of times is probably the greatest honor I've received in my coaching career has been being named the guy to follow. Never replace Coach Curlin, but be the guy to follow Coach Curlin, knowing how much he meant to he he meant to St. Patrick High School to the basketball community, just the basketball in general in the state of Illinois. So being the guy to be entrusted uh, to, to follow him and see if I can keep the tradition of, of great basketball at St. Pat's going, uh, that's certainly, a, to me, has been the, the greatest honor I've received as a basketball coach. And I think one thing, when, when you think of St. Pat's, you think a lot of different things, but I think you think one thing you think about is really good basketball throughout the course of years. I tell people all the time, it's not the most important thing at St. Pat's. Obviously, the most important thing is the boys' education, uh, developing their character in a faith-based uh, system. Um, it's not necessarily even the, the, the most important sport at St. Pat's. Uh, we've had great football teams, baseball teams, volleyball, soccer teams, but certainly basketball is important at St. Pat's because of the long tradition. So I think that really um, uh, makes for a good situation for you to be the basketball coach right there. Following Coach Curlin, watch. When you walk into the gym every day and you see Curlin Court, uh, the gym is named after Coach Curlin, or when I park my car, I would park my car right next to the house that he lived in. It's, it's a pretty good reminder to you about the tradition and that people expect St. Pat's basketball to be successful. But I think that's a good motivator for our coaches. It's been a great motivator for myself and for our players. People expect to have good basketball at St. Pat's. Something I wanted to follow up on, Todd and I have, have talked about this idea before, just between the two of us and with some of our guests, you know, and it's that idea of you always hear on, you know, whether it's uh, ESPN or somewhere else, you know, it's hard to be the guy that follows the guy. Um, you know, was there ever any pressure? You know, I know you well enough to know you put the pressure on yourself, but was there ever any pressure you felt by by following somebody that had been there for so long? And like you said, his house is, was on the campus. Right, right. Well, I, I think it's the person, Coach Curlin, for example. I think it's if, if that person makes it easy on you, helps you out, goes out of their way to make you feel welcome, which Coach Curlin certainly did for myself, it certainly makes it a lot easier. You know, if if he endorses you, I listen, I think Coach Curlin certainly wants to get a St. Pat's guy in there. I was not a St. Pat's student. I went to Gordon Tech. I would sure Coach Curlin would have probably preferred, I'm not say preferred, but was probably uh, endorsing a St. Pat's guy to be the guy to follow him. But um, Coach Curlin be the class person that he is, welcomed me from the first. So I, I would see him every day in the hallways. And we would we would have anywhere from a five minute conversation to a 55 minute conversation about St. Pat's, about the basketball team, where we're at. Uh, the day of every game, he would find me. I didn't have to find him. He would find me and we would talk about the game again, a couple of minutes to an hour at a time. 
you know, I would pick his brain on things. When I first uh, was named the coach and when I went to St. Pat's for a press conference, before I even went to the press conference, I wanted to make sure that I had time to meet with Coach Curlin personally and talk to him about St. Pat's and St. Pat's basketball. So I think the person that you are following could make that either an easy situation for the guy that's 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 coming after him, or he could make it a difficult one. I was so lucky in the sense that Coach Curlin welcomed me to St. Patrick High School. So you mentioned it uh, a little bit ago, Coach, about kind of the success the, the program has had uh, with sectionals, super sectionals, regionals, conference championships, all that. Um, and, you know, obviously you talked about relationships, but what are some of the other things that have gone into it to allow the program to sustain, sustain that success for such a long period of time? Yeah, I think what happens is uh, uh, one thing, great administration that we've had. I, I, I always tell coaches, you know, when they're looking to take a job at a certain school, I think you have to kind of look at and do your homework and research. OK, what am I getting myself into right here? OK, so my research told me and it's been true. Uh, we've had just great administration at St. Pat's, a very supportive administration, Brother Conrad, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Schmidt, Joe Schmidt, uh, just one of my dear friends. He's developed into being one of my best friends that I've had in life. Brian Glorioso, these were, he was our athletic director when I was first hired. I think it starts with having a really supportive administration. And certainly today with Dan Santucci and Matt Reardon and, uh, and John Harrington, uh, it, it, that's continued right there. So I think it's a very difficult job to do if you don't have the support of your administration. So I think that's been key right there. And then certainly the the people that I've been able to surround myself with, all the great assistant coaches that I've had, have played such a marvelous, uh, just done, done such a marvelous job for me and played such a large role yeah. in all of our success right here. And then I think it kind of comes down to the players, obviously, you know, I think it, it always comes down to surround yourself with the right types of people, knowing the types of players, the types of families that you want to have in your program and uh, knowing what that might look like. But I, I think if any of our sex, Todd, has come about, I think it's it's been a team effort right here. It certainly hasn't been about Mike Bailey. It's been about a lot of people, a village, if you would want to say, kind of helping to continue the success of St. Patrick basketball. So then the, the second part of that question is you mentioned – you know, if you've won two, three you, this past year, it's one, three, one, man to man. Um, I guess what kind of drives you and what what do you look at kind of every year to keep getting better and, and you know, playing at such a high level? Because it'd be very easy to say, hey, we had success. We're going to keep doing it, doing it this way. So kind of what is your, your motivation or what do you look at, you know, every season to kind of keep making making it, it better for that year? Yeah, I think you have to, you know, the term that's out there is kind of one of those buzzwords or buzz terms that's out there is growth mindset. But I do certainly think that if you're going to be, if you're going to have a sustained career and, a, and, a, and some success through that sustained career, you have to have a growth mindset. You can't be the same coach you were uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I think one of the things that uh, uh, I always look at doing is trying to stay with the latest trends the latest techniques that are out there. I see a lot of coaches every year change their offense or their defense year by year. I don't think that's necessarily what we try to do. 
I also see, though, some coaches are still running the same system, doing the same things they did 15, 20 years ago because they had success with that 15, 20 years ago. I don't know if that's the way to go either. I think there's certainly a, a, a somewhere in between point right there where you got to get as a coach. So I think it starts with that growth mindset. Okay, uh, staying with the latest techniques, the latest trends, uh, and, and but don't just just jump at what 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 is the latest trend. Do your research. Do your homework. Is this what we want to do? Will this be? Will this help our program be successful? So, for example, when we make some changes, it might take two or three years before we really implement those changes. It might take us two or three years of studying this defense or this offense or this technique before we actually put it in the, into our system. Because once we put it into our system, we want to make sure it's the best thing for our program. So again, I think it's it's being able to change, being able to adapt a little bit, but at the same time, just not you know taking the, the flavor of the month, the offense of the month, the, the defense of the month. Do your homework, do your research, see if this fits into your philosophy, see if this fits into your program. So, uh, you know, obviously that work is done with your assistant coaches and and I could go about naming some of them, but I'm not going to because I don't want to leave anybody out. But you've had countless assistant coaches, some of which have we've had on as guests on our show become head coaches. Um, you know, that that even comes down to your son who, for those of the listeners that don't know, is an assistant for the Pistons. So, you know, when you're when you're hiring coaches, you know, what do you look to see in them that lead you to feel like, hey, these guys are going to be quality coaches? Yeah, John, you know, I, we could probably do a whole podcast just on yes. that topic right there. But I, I think it's I think you bring up a, a great point. I think it's very important for you as a head coach to know what is it that I'm looking for in assistant coaches. And I tell young coaches that are aspiring to be head coaches, I'll start putting your philosophy down on paper when it comes to parent relationship, uh, hiring assistant coaches, uh, relationship with administration. Uh, start getting those thoughts together because you can't just pull that together once you become a head coach. You have to know what it is you're looking for from that very first day. So you know, just re real quickly, some of the things that I've always looked for is loyalty. You know, are you going to be loyal to myself or are you going to be loyal to St. Patrick High School? So we certainly aren't looking for yes men, but we're certainly looking for people that, you know, you hear these, these uh, you know, these uh, conversate, well, you know, boy, a heated debate in the coach's office. I don't know if we've ever had a heated debate in the coach's office, but we've had some really strong conversations about the way we should play, the way we should deal with different situations. But once we leave that office, we certainly, uh, with all the guys that we've had, assistant coaches, it's been a united front. Whether those whether those assistant coaches quite agree with everything that we decided, but once we get in front of those players, those parents, um, you know, it's it's they know that we're all on the same page. And I think loyalty to school. So, for example, uh, you know, St. Pat's had mandatory drug testing for for a number of years, and whether you agreed with mandatory drug testing for all the students or you didn't. When you see people at Jewel, at Mariano's, at church on Sunday, you have to make sure that you're giving the St. Pat's message right there. If you want to change anything, you need to kind of do that behind the scenes. So one of the first things I always look for loyalty, I always look for, you know, is, is the person disciplined? 
do they have self-discipline? If that bus is leaving at eight o'clock on a snowy Saturday morning for the freshman game, are you walking it at 8.05, 8.10, or are you there at 7.30 making sure the gym is open and the donuts are out and the kids have a warm place to go to? You know, I always say, is, is, your, is, is your presence felt even if you're not in the room? If you're sitting in the front of the bus, is your discipline, is your presence felt by those players in the back of the bus? If your players are in a locker room at halftime and you're meeting with your assistant coaches out, out in the hallway, is your discipline felt with those players? They know how to behave in the locker room, even though you're not there. Um, how organized are you? You know, I would look for organization in assistant coaches. I want uh, what I tell my assistants is I want to see organization. I want to see your 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 daily practice plan, your weekly plan, your monthly plan within the the framework of the yearly plan that we kind of give those guys. Can you teach? You know, there's a lot of guys that know a lot about basketball, but can you get that message across to people? So. I think basketball knowledge, I, we could always give them the basketball knowledge, but are they loyal? Are they disciplined? Are they organized? Do they know how to, to communicate with their players? I think those are the key things right there. And then, John, I think one of the things that we do that's a little unique, we do a few things I think maybe that's a little unique with our assistant coaches to prepare them to be head coaches. So like one of the things I'll tell our uh, our, uh, our, our our coaches, our lower level coaches is to do. And when you go on the road and you go into somebody's gym, make sure you introduce yourself to the athletic director or the assistant athletic director and ask those people, hey, I know you're running all over the place with game management, but can you can you keep an eye on my on my bench demeanor, on my style of coaching? All right. Because what that does, I think, John, is it, it one, it just makes them better coaches. They're hearing a message from somebody else, but it starts that relationship with other athletic directors, with other administrators. So down the line, when maybe a basketball job opens up at their school, they remember that assistant coach that we had at St. Pat's. Um, we'll take our, our sophomore coach, our sophomores of varsity practice together now, but back when like Gene Heitkamp and Tim Trendle and Matt Monroe were with us, the sophomores practiced, had their own time slot, but those guys would have to be at varsity practice also. So those guys would have sophomore practice three to five varsity practice five to seven 30. And then any meeting that we would have after practice, right? Their tape breakdown, whatever. And the reason why we did it, my point to those guys, if you're serious about becoming a head coach, by taking the sophomore team, it gives you the daily practices, the day, preparing your practices, implementing, running the practice itself, um, game decisions, game management uh, with your sophomore team. But it still gives you experience working with varsity level players. And I think that's been something that's been very attractive to other athletic directors. So ju just things along those lines like that. Uh, you know, I always give one of our, I always give our, all of our assistant coaches a project to work on over the summer. Uh, so for example, John, we might give you rebounding. Todd, we might give you a baseline out of bounds plays. I give this to those guys in April. They have the month of May. June gets hectic with all the basketball we play. They have the month of July to kind of research those topics. And then they'll come back in now, late August, early September, and make a presentation to our staff and maybe some of our other coaches that we know. And what this does is, watch, they have to go and they have to uh, read books, uh, go on YouTube, go on the internet. 
But most importantly, I tell them, call college coaches and other high school coaches. Find out what's the latest techniques, the latest drills, the latest systems when it comes to rebounding, let's say. And then, so what we do this to make our program better, but I think, John, what we also do is it gets our guys meeting other coaches, talking to college coaches, talking to other high school coaches, which just kind of gets them in the grapevine and as far as uh, when jobs open up, they have other people that they could go to to help promote them for those jobs. So ju just little things like that. We have a whole system with our assistant coaches that we try to utilize to prepare them to become head coaches once that opportunity arises. So, Coach, I just wanted to follow up. That that was one of maybe my favorite answers that we've ever had of any guest. Um, but I'm just curious, if just going on the basis of finding commonality in your assistants, maybe for our listeners, and, and you don't have to give them a ton, but, you know, maybe what are maybe two or three things you're looking for as common traits in your athletes? Um, I, you know, I'm going to guess that some of these be, you know, discipline and some of these are going to be similar to assistants, but what are some of the common traits you have for your athletes? Yeah, I think yeah, I, I think you have to again. I always tell younger coaches or guys that are going to uh, want to be head coaches, start to list the the traits that you might look for in your players. You know, there's probably some some better basketball players walking the hallways of St. Pat's that might be better than maybe some of the guys we've kept on the varsity, but. Uh, and this is no knock on those guys, but it's it just, you know, they just don't fit into maybe what we're looking for as a basketball player at St. Pat's. So I think, you know, when, you, when, when we watch kids in our grade school camp or grade school tournaments and things like that, you know, we're looking for things above and beyond just how good a basketball player they are. So I, one of the things, you know, uh, hey, can you check your ego at the door? I mean, that to, to, to us, that's so important. You know, this is about St. Pat's and our team. It's not all about just you, okay? And then the other thing that we try to tell guys, John, we find guys that would kind of fit this description, you know, uh, can you blend in before you try to stand out? You know, first try to blend into our team. Somebody on the team is going to stand out. Somebody's going to be the leading scorer. Somebody's going to play the most minutes. Somebody's going to uh, be the, the leading rebounder. So that's going to happen. We know that. But I think if you have the mindset, what we're looking for is a mindset of check your ego at the door first, okay? And once you walk into this gym, once you walk into this locker room, this isn't about you anymore. This is about St. Patrick basketball, all right? And then can you blend in first before you try to stand out? You'll stand out if you blend in first. Now, dealing with any player, NBA through grade school, it's, it's, it's not always easy to identify that a little bit. It's not easy for, for players to accept that all the time. But I think we're always looking for those types of guys like that. You know, there, there's guys on, on, that we've had in the past that maybe have been average, slightly above average basketball players, but you win with them because they have the right attitude. All right. I tell you, know, we've had some guys, I would say, well, if I have a Tiddlywinks team, if I have a Checkers team, I want that kid on my team because he has those types of attributes that we're looking for right there. So I really think. It starts with knowing what you're looking for in the types of players above and beyond what their skill level is, what they think, what they could do on the court. It starts with what you're looking for inside that player's heart right there. I believe that's the first Tiddly Weeks reference we've had, Coach. I love it. I like it. I, my, my grandma used to say that all the time. So that, that's a that's a fond, fond memory. Um, so we're going to build on this assistant coaches uh, talk here. Um so, you know, you, you talked about how successful your assist, assistants have been going on and then being head coaches. 
Um, and then you end up coaching against them, right? Whether it's in conference, a playoff game. So right. kind of tell us about that experience, kind of both maybe on the winning and losing end, and maybe some of the things you might have to think about when you have someone who's so familiar with your program and kind of what you guys are doing, you know, that given year, especially at the end of the year, playoffs, super sectionals, things like that. Right. Coach, I hate it. It's, it's the, it's the worst part of my, you know, people say parents or this or that I coaching against uh, my, uh, my assistant coaches is the worst experience that I have in coaching. Cause watch, here's the deal. I want to win. I mean, I think anybody that knows me, I mean, listen, we really want to win at St. Pat's. We really want to be successful. Winning is important to us. All right. But you know what? I want to see Chas Taft win at, at Fenton. I want to see Chris Moraz win at Ridgewood. I want to see Matty Monroe win at St. Ignatius. And when we have to play against those guys, I mean, it's I want to win, but I certainly want to see those guys win. Here's the here's great thing about the guys that we have coached for us in the past have now going to be head coaches. We are still all the best of friends. And I don't know if you would, I don't know if you would find that in a lot of schools because watch when we play Bennett, it's 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 big time games. The games are on Comcast. Uh, they're we're playing for the Eastern Conference champion, you know, the ESCC championship. You know, last year we played Matt, or a few years ago when we played the Chris Moraz at Ridgewood, we're playing for a birth to get downstate or a birth to get to the super sectionals. These are big time games, and I think a lot of times with a lot of people, you would see that. Boy, the relationship kind of deteriorates a little bit. I think the thing that I'm most proud of with 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 our staffs that we've had and, and the, is we just remain the best of friends. We are constantly calling each other, checking in on each other. I talk to all those guys at least once a week, okay, if not more during the course of every week during the during the basketball season. Checking in, hey, how could I help you, guys? Are hey, coach, what do you need here? Uh, we're looking to do, do this a little bit differently. What do you think? So we're always sharing thoughts right there. Um, so then when you have to go play them, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just gut wrenching. Cause I want those guys to win. I want those guys to be successful at the same time. Certainly I want to be successful. So I, uh, you know, uh, a few years ago, Chris Moraz, Chris Moraz, the head coach at Ridgewood, he's a superstar. I mean, he, he's, uh, he, he's got it all together. Now he's at a school that it's going to take him like freshman, sophomore year, build this class up by the time they're juniors, by the time they're seniors, they're really good. And then he's got to kind of start the process all over again. So, uh, but he's just uh, a tremendous coach, a superstar in the making right there. We played them in the, at Ridgewood for the sectional championship. I'm going back, I don't know, seven, eight years ago in front of probably about 3,000 people at Ridgewood. You couldn't get a, a ticket right there. Okay, the, This is for the sectional championship. The winner's going to go to the super sectional. They hit a three-quarters court shot at the buzzer to beat us. All right? But you could see, now, Chris, I mean, it, we're, Ridgewood, maybe the first time in school history, they're going to the super sectional. And you could see the joy in his face, uh, just how proud he was. But then you also see a side of him where I can't believe we, heartbreaking for St. Pat's. Heartbreaking for Coach Bailey and for all the coaches over there. And I think as, as happy as he was that they won, I think it was almost as bad as he felt that they beat us because that's the relationship that we have with those guys. Same thing last year with, with Matt, you know, Matt Monroe and Ignatius. The winning team's going to go to downstate for both teams. It's the first time and it's going to happen for either school. You know, we lose a heartbreaker in double overtime. Matt's happy. I mean, he's 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 proud. He you can see the joy in his face, but you also see a side of him where 
God, I want to St. Pat's to get downstate too. So it's uh it's 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 tough experience. It's I hate it. It's the worst thing about coaching, but I'm so proud of what all those guys have accomplished, all those those assistants have gone and, and done as head coaches. So we it, kind of with our guests this is something new we've done the last two three episodes so but in between some questions here we're going to have a little little halftime adjustment so we're going to give you a little scenario and then you let us know how you would kind of handle it so let's say your your team is up one point and it's the start of the third quarter in a rivalry game so you can you can be playing bennett notre dame uh the marion catholic whoever you want to be playing it's a rivalry game you're up one start of the second half and your, your leading scorer and your second leading scorer, they both have three fouls to start the half. For you, are you allowing them to start or are you going to sit them? And then maybe what defensive adjustments in your 1-3-1 would you help them make to not pick up a fourth? Yeah, great question. I, I We would play them. I, I think what I've learned over the years, and I think, again, if you if, if – you, latest trend right here a little bit a lot of I should say a lot of discussion amongst coaches just the scenario you're talking about when are you going to play guys with two fouls in the first half with three fouls in the second half three fouls in just a scenario you bring up John three fouls early in the second half I think a lot of times we we handcuff ourselves by sitting players on the bench with fouls okay we've kind of gone is we're going to play those guys we are going to practice this situation during our practices, during our special game situation practices during the course of the week. And uh, we're going to practice those scenarios where, hey, you are in foul trouble. You have three fouls in the first uh, three minutes of the third quarter. You're going to still have to defend. You're still going to have to play with intensity on the defensive end, but you're going to have to play a little bit smarter. You're going to have to recognize the fact that you have three fouls right there. So one of the things in the 31 defense is I think we could kind of move players maybe to an area on the floor where maybe there's not going to be as much congestion, maybe where the opponent's not really looking to attack that area so much. Now, your smart coaches are always going to try to hunt those guys down right there. But I think um, I think the key there would be in our mind is don't be afraid to play those guys. But at the same time, you have to practice that scenario. You have to practice that situation during the course of the week or the course of over a couple of weeks, making sure those guys understand how to play in that situation, how to be smart in that situation. And then in the 31 defense, we can kind of move guys around. We become pretty versatile in our 31 and where guys could play. We try to get them to be able to play all five spots right in there, or at least have a little idea how to play all five spots. Just for that reason, we can move a guy a little bit to an area that's not being attacked as much. Um, we can hide a guy out there a little bit. So uh, I want to move into uh, just just kind of coaching in general, right? You you mentioned some of your, your things you do, the film study, the meetings, uh, summer preparation, things like that. Um you know, combined with the success you've had, you know, getting the playoffs, you're, you're sometimes you have to prepare for three teams, whatever it may be. Um, and we've talked to so many coaches about that, that finding that balance with family mm -hmm. and coaching. So what are the, some of the things you do to, to find that balance with, with your family? Uh, you know, when you, when you, your kids were younger and then they had, have things and, uh, but also mm -hmm. having that preparation and, and, that high expectations and playing at a high level with your program. 
Yeah, again, I you guys you guys have great questions all the time. I mean, I I tell you, coaches should be listening to this show uh, on a weekly basis. But here, coach, here would be the thing that a little little unique situation for me. Probably my life is my life journey, coaching journey has been a little bit different than a lot of guys. Basketball is our whole life and our family. All right, so you know, John had mentioned uh, my son Brandon again. His his journey through coaching would almost be a a podcast in itself right there, but um, from playing at St. Pat's to being uh, Doug Bruno's basketball manager with the women's program at DePaul and moving up to the men's side at DePaul and working with Grover and and um, and Mike Procopio at the Attack Center to moving on to the Celtics. I mean, basketball has been, you know, everything to him, everything in his life right there. My daughter was a very, very, very good player at Prospect High School. Uh, she still holds some of the some of the shooting records right there. Um, and uh, she could have gone out and played Division three basketball and been a really good player. But instead, she went and became Doug Bruno's basketball manager at the ball. My wife, uh, you know, we've been together since high school. So she knows no other lifestyle than the the rhythms of an entire season. What happens in the spring? What happens in the summer? What happens in the fall? Uh, what a York Christmas tournament might look like with five games in five days, all the preparation and time away. So the point I'm leading to is my, my journey has been a little bit different probably than most people in the sense that basketball has been the empathy, the, the impetus of everything that's happened in our family right here. When you uh, basketball is on some TV channel, 24 hours a day in our house, my, my wife might be watching Chicago PD and Chicago fire, but over in the corner, there's another TV that's got a WNBA game on. Uh, you know, my daughter will be watching uh, Housewives of Atlanta, but you know what, over here, there's a college basketball game on. So it's been, I, I've just been very fortunate along those lines, but I always tell younger coaches this, you know what, make sure you include your family and everything that you do with basketball. You know, as you start, it was easy for me because my wife knows no other lifestyle than this. OK, she knows the lifestyle of of, 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 of being a successful uh, running a successful program and what goes all into that. OK, now other people that maybe meet their spouse a little bit later, their spouse thinks they understand what it's all about, but maybe they don't know the time commitment and all the energy that you have to put into it. So my point always is the more you bring your family into your program, your spouse, your kids, you bring them into your program it becomes a family oriented type of situation now where time commitment, maybe your time is being spent together with basketball. So that, that's, that's, like I said, my journey has been a little bit different. I think it's one of the things that's helped me have a long career. It's just how much my family has been involved with basketball and how much my family has been involved with St. Patrick basketball. All right. So uh, for our listeners that don't know, um, I'm going to have coach talk a little bit coming up here about St. Patrick's Notre Dame, the rivalry between the two schools and kind of what a game is like. Um, so coach, my, my first question as as you talk a little bit about the rivalry and, um, you know, I, I'm curious if you can remember back to maybe the first time you were the St. Pat's head coach and you played a Notre Dame, uh, team and just, you know, standing in the gym with, with the thousands of people that attend what that was like for you. And then maybe take our listeners through that experience, you know, the days leading up or or even the day of a game when you still got to teach that day, but there's a big game that night. And clearly the the school and the community is is buzzing. 
Yeah. You know, John, every school has their rivals, right? I mean, if you went over to um, Fenwick, Fenwick Oak Park, Fenwick St. Ignatius, right? I mean, they'll tell you that's the best rivalry around. Hey, when I was at uh, St. Gregory's, St. Gregory's St. Benedict's was, I mean, that meant everything to, to, to you. Uh, Elgin, Elgin Larkin, Dundee Crown Jacobs, you know, two district rivals. You know, everybody has their games where the gym is filled and, you know, the the, the rivalry games are, are high intensity. And but there's nothing like St. Pat's in Notre Dame. All right. There, there really isn't. And uh, I think it's it happens for a lot of reasons. I think it's just the, the pride both schools have, the tradition both schools have, the culture of both schools. Uh, they want to be successful in everything that they do. I think you take the fact that normally St. Pat's and Notre Dame have very good basketball teams, a lot of times great basketball teams. Um, so there's a lot of pride right there. The fact that uh, both schools are, what are we, about five miles away, maybe less than five miles away. You're competing for the same kids, for the same guys to go to those schools. I say there's probably about, I don't know, I'll throw a number out there. 80% of the Notre Dame students probably could have were, could have come to St. Pat's, considered coming to St. Pat's. Probably about 80% of the St. Pat's guys probably considered going to Notre Dame, easily could have gone to Notre Dame. And then you throw on the fact of teenage boys and testosterone and being an all-boys school. It uh, certainly leads to a very energetic, very uh, explosive, very uh, just just a fun atmosphere. Uh, but it's uh, it's unique. Every school has their rivalry, but it's unique. And really, John, it kind of starts this way. Here's, here's what kind of happens at St. Pat's with this, all right? The Friday before you play Notre Dame, if we're during that game, if we're winning towards the end of the game, if we have a safe lead, never if we're trailing, never if the game is close, but if we kind of have the game in hand in the last few minutes, our fans, you start to hear our fans chant, beat the Dons, beat the Dons. Beat the Dons. It starts really the Friday beforehand. Saturday morning, uh, staff meeting. If we have a staff meeting at 10 o'clock, I mean, my staff's there at 9.15, 9.30. You know what? That week, they get their 8.45, 8.30. Instead of one cup of coffee in their hand, they got two cups of coffee in their hand. All right? Uh, Sunday, you know what? You start to get some of the emails and some of the text messages and some of the phone calls from your former players. You know, that type of thing. Uh, hey, coach, uh, you got a ticket? Hey, coach, how do I get in? Coach, which door is going to be propped open that I could kind of sneak into? You know, that type of thing like that. So Monday, you guys know how it is in high school, right? During winter, it's dreary. It's Kids are dragging and all that. But uh, right after lunch, you'll hear in the hallways between, uh, between classes, you'll hear some kid yell out, hey, beat the Dons this week. You know, it starts on that Monday. Uh, you know, you'll hear some, you'll see an upperclassman that Monday kind of walk through the freshman hallway. Everybody's at the game, seven o'clock on Friday, on, on Friday night against Notre Dame. So it starts then a little bit and it just kind of builds up through the course of the week. You know, Monday afternoon, um, the student council will come to me with, Hey coach, this is the theme for the game for the week. This is what we're doing. Uh, what do you think? How can, uh, how can the basketball team help us promote the game? Tuesday, the signs go up, all right, school, you know, uh, and it's always classy. It's never malicious. It's normally simply beat the dots, all right? Wednesday, you know, we'll have our guest speaker come in, probably a former player, and uh, they'll talk about the tradition of St. Pat's and Notre Dame basketball, the rivalry, what it meant to them, uh, re reminisce about some of the games that they played in. 
uh, Thursday, a kind of uh, Wednesday, you know what happens? The pancakes and, and the breakfast in the morning will have beat the Don's written on it. All right. The sugar cookies in the afternoon start, we'll have beat the Don's written on it. So <laughs> you're getting it all the time. Thursday, uh, one of the cool things, uh, uh, this guy, Mike O'Neill, John, you might know uh, Mike if you see him, great alum with St. Pat's, was a tremendous yeah. football player at St. Pat's. He probably started this, I don't know, about 20 years ago. All of a sudden, he just gets up in the cafeteria, doesn't, no, no teacher, no dean, anything. He just quiets the whole cafeteria down, and he gives a five-minute talk. He, he gave a five-minute talk to the students, to his classmates, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, about what this rivalry meant and how everybody's got to get to the game. And if you didn't get to the game, you're going to have to talk to him on Monday morning. All right. So it was, uh, and that's, that tradition is, is, is kept going with other football players. They get up and talk about to our students during the cafeteria, during the lunch period. And you could hear, you could hear a, a, a pin drop in the cafeteria when these guys talk. Then Friday game day, you know, kids are coming in with, uh, you know, spirit wear and, and faces painted and you all, and here's a John, here's, here's what I always like to, you know, those teachers, well, you know, it's Friday, we're given a test, you know, Schools is school, and they're hundred. They're they're not a hundred percent right. They're a thousand percent right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what school is about. But those same teachers, you'll see, while they're practicing a test, they'll have beat the dons written across their forehead. All right. Or they'll have a sweatshirt on about mm -hmm. about the, about beat the dons and all that. Or that one teacher that complains about you know uh, it's school and we still have to have a you know school in session here. Uh, you know, we always say at the end of every prayer, uh, after every class period, uh, St. John Baptist de La Salle, pray for us, live Jesus in our hearts forever. And then that teacher that's complained all week will say, and don't forget tonight, we're going to beat the dots. You know, it's just stuff like that. You know, it, it's just around uh, all day. The, the school is is hopping on Friday. I mean, school is hopping on Thursday, but the school is is hopping on, on Friday. You could you could feel the end by Noon, one o'clock, you just feel the energy in the building, okay, during a Notre Dame game week right there. If you're, if if it's a home game, you have to get there by 5.30 for the sophomore okay. game. If you're not there by 5.30 for the sophomore game, you are not going to get in for the varsity game. Yep. So it's a cool experience for those sophomore guys. They are playing in front of thousands and thousands of people for a sophomore basketball game. And if you're not there for the start of that game, you don't get in. Uh, if it's a road game, It'll be 100, 150 guys seeing our team bus off. They used to caravan. It used to go, the, they, they would start a caravan following our team bus to Notre Dame. It got to be so big and guys were running red lights and things like that. Uh, they had to stop that. They had to put, a, put an end to that. But they still have the tradition where there'll be 100, 150, 300 guys out there singing the school fight song and seeing the team off before they, they they go over to Notre Dame, and then I mean the game itself is I I I always say this John and Todd you know what it's the team that keeps their poise the best in that game I think is the team that normally comes out to be more successful the team that can put all the distractions all the social media all that stuff behind them I think that's the team that normally has the most success in the game and to be honest with you I think it really favors the road team a lot of times you know. I think guys get so wound up when they're playing at home. When you go on the road, you put that chip on your shoulder. It's us against the rest of the world. I think it's almost favors. This is one of the few times I would say it almost favors the road team in those games than being the home team. 
because it's just the atmosphere in the building and all that. And then after the game, I, I, I just, I know I'm getting long winded here, but I could talk at this thing all. for days at a time. Uh, just two, two vivid memories post game. What happened? Um, we, we were fortunate a few years ago. Uh, we're playing on Comcast. We're playing at Notre Dame, uh, nip and tuck game. Jalen Nelson hits the game winning shot for us at the buzzer. So picture this, you know, you're a high school basketball player. You're playing against your arch rival. You're on TV. Um, you hit the game-winning shot right in front of their student section, right in front of Notre Dame student section right here. All right. He hits it. Um, our team mobs him. The, the reporter for the Comcast uh, a girl came up to him, interviewing have, him after the game, talking about probably one of the highlights, probably one of the highlights of his life, the highlight of his athletic career. So she says, uh, you know, Jalen, tell me, he says, I, hey, Sean Eck made a great pass to me. I took one dribble. I took the shot. I made it. But here's the deal. I am going over with my boys right now to celebrate with them. He didn't even want to be interviewed by TV. What he wanted to do was get over just not only with his teammates, and he jumped right into the crowd. Uh, I just thought, you know, cool moment right there. His his finest moment, he wanted to be with the St. Pat's students celebrating rather than be on TV. And I'll tell you another one to show you what this what this means to, to both schools. Uh, John, I think you've met Dr. Schmidt, Joe yep. Schmidt, long-term principal at St. Pat's, yep. president at St. Pat's, been at St. Pat's for over 50 years. He's a coach's coach. He's a man's man. He's a guy's guy. All right. Very rarely would he ever come into the locker room. I could, I and the 29 years we were together, I think twice he came into the locker room after a game at St. Pat's. So again, going back a ways, it was, uh, uh, they beat us the year before Notre Dame beat us the year before they smacked us in football. They smacked us in golf. All right. They smacked us in a few different sports for the first time. They, they, the, the, uh, the placement test was the Saturday before the Notre Dame game before our basketball game for the first time, Notre Dame tested more guys than we did. All right. That Monday, Notre Dame becomes ranked in the top 25 of the Sun-Times. So morale was a little low at St. Pat's. They beat us in football. They beat us the year before in basketball. They, uh, they, they out-tested us for the first time. Notre Dame was ranked. Um, we're going to Notre Dame to play. Uh, we win. We win the game. A kid by the name of Quee Dang, a senior kind of on the fringe of rotation, comes in, hits three threes. It was an emotional scene after the game. We come back into the locker room. Our guys are cheering. You know, you guys all been in those locker rooms where you a big win like that. And in walked Dr. Schmidt, all right? And um, he starts to talk to our players. And um, how, how much this meant, not necessarily to our basketball program, but what this meant to our school. We needed this. We needed this, this moment right here. We needed to kind of show everybody, hey, we're still St. Pat's. Maybe we, maybe we got banged around here a little bit, but you know what? We're still St. Pat's and we're still, and as he's talking, he's starting to cry and he can't even finish his talk. And I'm looking around the room, you know, Dominic Cannon, some of these guys, you know, mm -hmm. my sister, oh, they're crying. All right. Players are crying. And I think that just goes to show you what this rivalry means to people at St. Pat's, whether it's our players, our students, our alums, our parents, what this means right here. Now watch, if you if you have somebody on from Notre Dame next week, <laughs> it's the same thing in Notre Dame. It, th this isn't just St. Pat's. Now, now they have the same traditions, the same situations. They could give you the same uh, things they've gone through right there. That shows you what, what makes this rivalry so unique and so great. 
Well, and I'll just say before we go back to a little bit of basketball, you know, as somebody that's attended those games and, you know, I, I remember a story of this is probably four or five years ago, right before COVID, there was a game, it was at Pat's and the, the gym was so closed. I'll never forget coach. There was, there was people trying to look through the windows um, just to try to see the game. They were in the, either the hallway or wherever, and they were just trying to look through the windows and um, the, the best part about this coach, and you may not even know this, but I think it's sometime in January on the same Friday night, you guys play Notre Dame and we play Regina. So we might as well just close the North side down and move on from there. Right. You know, you know, John, yeah. You know, I, I love how, listen, basketball is great all over the Chicagoland area, yeah. you know, but you hear, you know, basketball on the South side with, uh, you know, some of the CPS schools and, and uh, you know, uh, Carmel and St. Reed and all that. You know, same thing with girls basketball, right? We play some pretty good basketball up here on the north side of Chicago. You know, uh, Loyola Academies, they're, they're not bad in basketball. You know, St. Pat's, we're okay. You know, Notre Dame's not bad in basketball. DePaul Prep, you know, they're pretty good at basketball. And I think it's the same thing with Regina and, and Rez and, and Trinity and all that. Yep. There's some good basketball being played up on the north side of Chicago. I don't know about you. I'm gonna to have to go find some place to play today. I think after that, I'm gonna go yeah. pick out pick out somebody at the park and let's get after it. <laughs> uh, all right, so coach, we want to go back to your third 31 defense we talked about a little bit before, um, and you talked about different things you ran throughout the years. So, I kind of want to talk to you about what made, like, what pushed you towards that change to run to run your 30 31, and then the second part of it is. You know, as you've been running it now, what are, what are some of the things you've learned over the years running that one three one? Yeah, coach, it it, it it took us a long way, a long time to get to that thirty one defense. So it goes back to a point we we're talking about before. These aren't um, knee jerk reactions that we have when we change things in our program, change things in our system. These things, I would hope, I would think, I I I know are well thought out. It takes it took us probably three years to get to a point of research on the 31 defense to say, this is a change that we're going to make. You know, we, we probably about four or five years ago, we made two major changes to our program. We moved away from motion offense to a more of a drive in space, dribble drive motion, if you would say, downhill basketball, attacking the rim off the dribble. And then and we made a change from our pack line defense to the 31 defense. And again, both of those things took long research, probably years of thinking and years of planning before we made those changes right there. So when it came to the 31 defense, what we liked about it was this, you know what, we, we've been very blessed that we, that we get good perimeter players. I think one thing you think about St. Pat's basketball is we always have good point guard play, you know, Sammy Maniscalco, Chris Mraz, Elijah Watson, all these guys that we've got Caleb Coro. Um, you know, we just have had really good point guard play over the time. Like a lot of schools, we probably struggle to get big players, okay, big men. So the 31 defense, one of the many things that went into our thinking was uh, we can find that football player, that 6'4", six, 6'5", six, kid, all right, that maybe uh, his, his, his basketball isn't his whole life. You know, football is his main thing. But we could put him in that middle of that 31 defense and play him in that sneak spot in, the, in our dribble drive motion game, and we could get a lot of mileage out of those guys. So that, that was just part of our thinking and kind of move into this system. Then what we did is we went to the master. I mean, I think uh, uh, any guy in Chicago will tell you when it comes to almost any topic, but specifically zone defense, we went to Will Ray over at Northridge Prep. And uh, again, there's very few 
things I do in basketball without kind of first talking with Will about. And and Will has just this great sense of this is the way that he plays with his own defense package, specifically his 31. He'll tell you almost anything you want to know about it. He'll explain why he does it, but he doesn't try to talk you into doing it. It's not like his way is the right way and the man-to-man defense is the wrong way to play. He just says, this is why we do it. This is how we do it. So we certainly picked his brain a lot on, on the 31 defense. And I think what it does is it lets us be, instead of playing multiple defenses, I think the 31 defenses, the 31 defense lets us be multiple in how we play the 31 defense. You know, we'll have different things that we do out of our 31 defense without losing the base of our 31 defense and without having to play teach entirely different types of defenses, if that makes sense. So, you know, we, 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 we trap out of it. We could trap certain players. We could trap certain areas out of it. We can extend it. We can move it back. We could um, use different triggers. We might be in our 31 and something will trigger us to go to a two, three defense. We might be in our 31 and something might trigger us to go to a switching man to man defense. So, I just think the versatility that we have in our 31 defense um, has been a large part of our success over the last few years. And then the last question before we move into our last two segments, and we we asked quite a few of our our coaches the this question, and you've hit a little bit on it, but you know, what do you think is is maybe one of the next major changes or you know, maybe a, a couple of changes that we'll see in the game of basketball in high school over the next 10 years? Yeah, the shot clock's going to come uh, for sure. Um, I, I, I don't I don't think it's as close as some people may think. I know uh, the IHSA is going to let uh, uh, some tournaments, Thanksgiving, Christmas tournaments, shootouts, those types of things, kind of experiment with the shot clock a little bit. Um, I am certainly in favor of the shot clock, but I also understand why maybe some people wouldn't be in favor of the shot clock. Um, you know, I think what, John, what we forget, you, you know, John, you're – influential member of the IBCA, you understand what the IBCA is all about. You know, uh, I think people sometimes north of I-80, we forget that there's a large state, central Illinois, north, northwestern Illinois, southern Illinois, that look at a lot of things differently. And one of the things is maybe the way that basketball should be played a little bit different than what we look at it above I-80. So I think, you know, if, if in the surveys we've done above I-80, Large percentage, 80%, 75, 80% of the coaches are in favor of the shot clock. If you go south of I-80, central Illinois, southern Illinois, I think it's probably in the low 50s people are in favor of the shot clock. So I think we always have to keep that in mind a little bit as an organization where our entire state is at. What does women's basketball, girls basketball think about the shot clock as opposed to just what the boys think about the shot clock? So I think there's a lot of issues that kind of go into that a little bit. I think um, name, image, name, image, and likeness is going to be something we're going to have to keep our eye on a little bit. Some states have already gone to that already. Um, I think it's going to be what, whatever you see transpire in, in, in college basketball eventually is going to filter its way down to high school basketball, whether it's the shot clock, transferring, name, image, and likeness. I think those issues are going to uh, pop up on the high school scene in a few years. Okay. After they, after they appear on the college scene. I think one of the great things though, is, is I think the leadership we have with the IHSA, the, 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 I think those, those topics are topics that, you know what, coaches have to keep their eye on. And I think a lot of coaches, I, 
do I want to get involved with these name, image, and likeness, the transfer thing? I think a lot of these issues sometimes are driving coaches out of coaching. Uh, but I think with, with you know, uh, Anderson and Souser and Gibson, those people that we have in the IHSA, I think we get tremendous leadership from those people. The people that we have in the IBCA, Jim Tracy, Ronnie Weinmiller, Deb Kaufman, um, we, we have great leadership in the IBCA. So I think we're always a little nervous about where high school basketball might be moving to, but I feel really good about the leadership that we have from the IHSA and the IBCA that Whatever those changes, whatever those challenges are, those people are going to guide us in the right way right there. All right, Coach, we're going to transition to our last two segments here. First one's 30-second timeout. You're down your dance floor. Anything you want to talk about inside basketball, outside basketball, something that's important to you, um, whatever it may be, um, and you have all the all the time you want. I, I, I'm not – we're not sitting over here. We have no shot clock on, the, on this one, so um, – Whatever, whatever you feel like talking about today, it's all you. Uh, boy, I caught me off guard on that one a little bit. Hey, we had this discussion with the IBCA a little bit a few a uh, few weeks ago when we met uh, with the IHSA. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the shot clock. I think one of the issues that we need to talk about in high school sports is the fouls. Okay, can we reset the foul situation after each quarter? So I think the, um, you know, sometimes those games, you know, a, a team gets off to a bad start defensively. They're a little sloppy defensively. And I see teams are shooting bonus late first quarter, early second quarter. That just kind of drags the game along. Okay. Same thing in the second half right there. Just kind of the games just kind of sometimes the games become almost a free throw contest early in the fourth quarter, early in the third, uh, the second quarter, just because we don't reset the fouls. So uh, one, one thing that I'm always kind of talking to other coaches about, shot clock for sure. Should we play quarters or halves? I think those are all great discussions. But I think, you know, would we reset the fouls, five fouls per quarter as opposed to before you shoot bonus, as opposed to, you know, shooting bonus on the seventh foul? You know, I think that might speed up our game a little bit because I think sometimes what happens, a team might have a sloppy period in a quarter defensively. Um if you reset the foul situation for the next quarter and now the team kind of finds a rhythm uh, better defensively, it just leads to a cleaner game. It just leads to a, a, a more of a free flowing, a free flowing game right there. But I, I, I am a proponent of talking about the shot clock halves versus quarters and resetting those fouls. I think if, after each quarter, I think those are all topics that are kind of intertwined right there. And, um, I think I think it's things that as high school coaches, we need to kind of take a look at a little bit. So, coach, as we move into our last two segments or our last segment, excuse me, the quick hitter segment, um, this is kind of just Todd and my opportunity to sometimes have some fun with our guests. Um, these questions can be quick hitter basketball related. They don't have to be basketball related, though, uh, as we've joked many times. And I know you'll know Mike Ryan Gruber. We have asked him um, some questions about uh, his favorite zoo animal because he was close to the zoo. So we'll start a little basketball related, but then we might go uh, out in left field. So the first one is your favorite clinic speaker you've ever heard. Um, Hubie Brown, you know, again, Hubie Brown. Uh, um, Hubie, Hubie would, would do this. Hubie would be a guy that he would come in and he would give you content. You know, he was an NBA coach at the time with the 
Hawks and the Knicks and all that. But when when Hubie was talking at a clinic, now this is back there. Hey, listen, there's no internet, there's no YouTube, there was no um, uh, you know no Zoom clinics and things like that. You had to actually go to these clinics. You would go to a championship uh, clinic. You would go to a Nike clinic, a medalist clinic, and there would literally be 800 to 1,000 coaches there. And Hubie was always one of the prime speakers. Hubie would, you know, you know, you you guys have all seen these clinic talks or and and and, and tapes and all that where guys don't really give you any content. They really don't give you. They're telling stories all the time. Uh, Hubie would give you content. All right. Uh, he had one clinic where. He's supposed to speak at eight o'clock over here in uh, in Rosemont at the Hyatt in Rosemont. He had gotten fired from the Atlanta Hawks two weeks beforehand. And um, he still comes to the clinic. And from eight o'clock, he's supposed to talk from eight to nine o'clock. He talked from eight o'clock to 1030 and just kind of sat on the stage and talked about what it was like to get fired, uh, what it was like to how to uh, all, all the highs and lows of getting fired. Um, all the things he could have done differently. Here's what he's going to look to do now. And it was just, again, nobody left. Everybody stayed for the clinic. He would just talk to you about things like that. He used to have, he had a clinic up in Milwaukee. It was uh, five, four nights and five days. And you would go to a, to a clinic session in the morning. You would break for lunch. You would go to a clinic session in the afternoon. You would break for lunch. You would go uh, for dinner. You would go to a clinic session at night. And then after that, you would go out for dinner with him. Uh, you could go out for dinner, pizza with him, those types of things. And you would talk basketball till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. So I always found him to give you great content, a great speaker, um, just uh, my, my all-time favorite clinic speaker. And I'll come back to Will Ray. I think Will Ray is another guy that whenever Will Ray speaks on a topic, whether it's a Zoom clinic, an in-person clinic, uh, or you just kind of go to a basketball roundtable, uh, whether it's X and O's of basketball or practice organization or um, uh, faith-based coaching, okay, character, devel uh, character development in your program, Will is another one of my favorite favorite clinic speakers. That wasn't a quick hitter. That was kind of long for a quick hitter. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Coach. Like, I even find myself when H Hubie's doing a game, whether it be on radio or, like, TV, Right. You kind of stop and watch it. It could be like a, a real bad game, right? It could be, I don't even know, you know, some, some off, some off topic game, but um, that's, that's a, that's a great, that's a great one that people kind of forget about. You can learn. learn yeah, we, back in the back, coach, back in the day used to go, you know, you didn't have video camera. You would, uh, you would uh, cassette tape record his, his talks, yep. you know, remember those days, you know, yep. I still have those cassettes. I mean, I have a whole file. I have a whole file just with Hubie Brown clinic speeches you know, and, and, and handouts and things like that. I thought he was the best. All right. So I want to get into your, you know, obviously you talked about Will Ray, but when you're looking at your, your one, three, one, 31, maybe some of the teams, teams you studied, looked at, I know uh, Ole Miss right now runs some pretty good one, three, one. Uh, when you talked about like switching to different defense, Georgia tech a couple years ago with Alvarado kind of did some hybrid stuff with it. So what are, what are some of the teams you've looked at to kind of, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about it and study. Yeah. You know, we're, we're always on synergy, um, you know, trying to find out the teams that are, are playing any, any type of one, three, one or two, three zone, those types of things like that to see what they're doing. We do have a pretty good chain with uh, a text chain and uh, zoom chain with uh, uh, what I try to do is, is I try to, if it's, if 31 defense, for example, you know what, I try to reach out to coaches in Wisconsin. 
Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, you know, maybe not those programs that we're going to play against or see a lot, but get a core of guys that, um, that from out of state that we kind of Iowa, you know, I probably have about six or seven coaches from out of state that we kind of work with a little bit and talk to constantly about what they're doing with their 31 defense on the high school level. Uh, what's happening in Michigan? How are guys attacking the 31 in Iowa? You know, what what changes do you see in in Ohio with uh, with guys that run the 31 defense? So I think just expanding, and, and I think you can do that with with kind of anything that that you do with with the game. You know, with, with our space and pace offense, again, we we have another whole text chain and Zoom chain that we go with guys from out of state that kind of run the similar type of offense that we run just to kind of see what they're doing and picking their brain. And they're not guys right from the Chicago area. So we're constantly on the lookout all the time. On sent, You know, we, 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 one of my assistants will always just, hey, coach, um, you know, he'll check on our Synergy account. And these teams were running 31 defense last night on the college level. And then we'll go and see if we can kind of pick up some of those possessions and see what they're doing right there. But right. it's a it's a constant it's a constant search for you know that gets back to the old the term we used before growth mindset. It's back to that constant searching for uh for information. All right, so here's where we go off the the ledge a little bit, Coach. Would you rather have barbecue or seafood? You know, John, neither. Okay, hmm. I'm, I'm not answering your question. I'm an old, uh, not old, but I'm a, a Irish Catholic guy from the north side of Chicago. <laughs> All right, I'm a beef, chicken, steak, potato guy. Give me the chicken cob salad or shepherd's pie at Galvin's anytime before any barbecue or seafood. I was right? wondering if I was wondering if Galvin's would make an appearance in this episode. Yeah, give, give, give me either one of those. Have Sue Lally get me a, a chicken cob salad or the shepherd's pie, and you could have all the barbecue and seafood you want. I'll take either one of those two things right there. All right, we're gonna go uh, holidays here. Well, favorite holiday could be Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July. What what is your what's your favorite holiday? You know, uh, we, Coach Wall like to get gifts, right? All right, so Christmas is right <laughs> up there. But uh, you, you know, in thinking about it, Fourth of July, and here's why. Okay, and it always, and our family always comes back to basketball, right? All right, Fourth of July, when you stop and think about it as a basketball coach, is probably one of the few, yep. uh, few holidays that you have where, right. you, you know, the June basketball is done. Maybe you've got some grade school camps coming up later in July, but that week of the Fourth of July is probably one of the few times during the year where you can really relax a little bit. If you, if you ever relax as a high school basketball coach, but if you can relax a little bit and kind of get away from a little bit, you know, Christmas, um, boy, you know, in our house, it's open up the presents, you know, midnight mass the night before open up the presents, put the NBA games, but you know what, as it starts to get five, six o'clock, aren't you, you're kind of wandering over to your, uh, to your computer, watching a little game tape on your opponent the next day, same thing at Thanksgiving. So, you know, we all like to, I love to give gifts and give gifts, but probably to me, the one holiday that our family is really able to really enjoy for 24 hours would be the 4th of July. All right. So we'll finish with, this can be anything. It could be a, another coach did some funny, you did some funny, one of your kids, maybe just a fun, funny in-game story in your career that you'll never forget. Uh, yeah, great question, John. You know, I, I don't know if there's one, I, it would always center around referees though, to be honest with you. All right. It would always with us center around referees a little bit here. Here's what, what I always try to do is, um, listen, um, I would hope we're always very prepared at St. Pat's as a coaching staff. 
I know the guy on the other bench in the ESCC is going to be very, very prepared. So as an official, you know what? You better walk into our gym and you better be ready to give a 32-minute effort right here. All right. If not, you know what? You're going to hear about it from the St. Pat's bench. You're going to hear about it from the opponent's bench right here. All right. Um, but at the same time, a, a referee is coming in and, you know, large crowds, intense games, uh, great players, you know, good coaching, at least on the other bench, on about the St. Pat's bench, you know, and referees are coming in, giving a great effort right there. I think one of the best ways to kind of uh, communicate with referees is through um, just through some humor. All right. And I, I can't remember. I mean, listen, I dive on the floor for loose balls sometimes as they go out of bounds. Um, I kind of take some charges, you know, on the sideline a little bit, uh, which always kind of uh, it gets a, a smile and all that from the referees a little bit. But I think, you know, the more you can, um, if referees give me that great effort right there, the more you, I, I think some of the best way you can communicate with referees is through humor. All right. And through just lighthearted moments like that a little bit. I find that the best way to, to kind of communicate with those guys. And, uh, you know, like I, we always say this, we love the officials that will kind of come over to you and tell you, okay, what's happening on the floor. Hey, Bales, mm -hmm. number 42 is holding in the low post. I've told them that, get it cleaned up, or the next time I'm going to I'm gonna call a foul on them. Or listen, hey, coach, 55 is talking trash out here. I've talked to him. If he doesn't, if he doesn't quit talking out here, it's a technical foul. Then it becomes on my shoulders, the coaching staff's shoulder, to get that post-defense cleaned up, to get that, um, that, that trash talking cleaned up out on the floor. To me, now it's not on the officials, it's on me right there. So I think a lot of that communication with the officials happens when they say, when they see that, hey, you know what, We're, it's going to be intense, but it's going to be fun. All right. There's going to be some good communication right there between the coaches and the players. I think that's when you get your best officiated games. I was I was wondering, Todd, if I could get him to say something that Gene or that uh, Pingator did in his years at St. Joe's against him. I was wondering if I could get him to say something. Well, Ping would be this. Ping would Ping would always do this. I mean, uh, boy, great games, Pats and 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 St. Joe's. Back when Coach Curlin was there, I mean, that's where the, this rivalry really kind of started right there. But on a Saturday night game. You know what? Pats versus Joes, either in Westchester or, or at Belmont and Austin, people knew go to that game. All right. Get to that game right there. And um, pack crowds. I mean, not quite like Notre Dame, but man, you get a lot of student bodies, but you get a lot of basketball people at those games. Our floor at St. Pat's would be a little be, be a little slippery. All right. It could be a little slippery at times. And you would see Gene would uh, go up and down the sidelines and he would be like, sometimes like like surfing like skateboarding right there. and he'd be complaining about the floor and all that and and probably rightfully so complaining about our floor but just uh i miss the guy i mean um a great friend great competitor obviously a outstanding coach but with ping i I've, I've seen gene where you know i mean he's royalty right he gene's basketball royalty but i would see some grandfather go up to talk to him some little kid of seven eight years old go up to talk to him and he would always make those people feel important you know they, they they're coming to him because he's gene pingator he would make those people feel better about themselves who they were uh than than it was about gene he just had that great knack with people um we became over the years just 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 great friends and uh more friends than competitors 
you know, one time when I was at Dundee Crown High School, I had just got the job at Dundee Crown High School. He called me up and says, let me come out there, bring my team out to Dundee Crown and play. You know, this is back when they were really good. And uh, and uh, he said, it'll be a happening for you a little bit out here. And not in a cocky way, not in a conceited way, but kind of like I'll travel out to Dundee Crown if you think it will help promote basketball in your program out there. Just things like that. He didn't have to do that. But he always he, he was always looking out for other coaches and what was the best for the ESCC. Well, Coach, this has been a phenomenal hour. Todd and I are very thankful that you came on. The stories, the the anecdotes, um, it's it's all been a very special hour that I know our listeners will really enjoy. So thank you again so much for for jumping on with us today. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Always, uh, like I said, always a fan and uh, um, uh, always listen to, to the pod when I'm out for a little bit more of a walk right now than a jog, but always out for, uh, always have the podcast on. Great job by you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.